What was David thinking? How did he think he could get away all the things that he did? It stands recorded for us on the pages of Scripture, and it's included in the heading of Psalm 51. David made a terrible mistake. No, actually, mistake isn't rightly what we should call it. It was evil. It was horrid. How could David think that he could get away with this? You know, you probably wouldn't like to have your thoughts recorded on the pages of Scripture and the record of your sins written down for everyone to see. But David did. Here we see on the pages of Scripture a pretty good guess of what David was thinking as it all played out. It started with David foregoing the option of going off to war with his soldiers and leading them in battle and commanding them at the battlefront. No, instead we see David waking up in the evening from a leisurely nap, walking about. And there is David in his idleness, and he spots her. She's exposed as she's bathing nearby. And David doesn't do the honorable thing and turn away. No, he sees her, that is, this woman, Bathsheba is her name, and he stares. He begins to lust after her. And David could have just left it then, but when sin starts to take hold and we start to wrestle with sin, we think we can control it, but it takes hold of our heart. David then sent for the woman, for Bathsheba, and had her brought to himself. And it doesn't really matter whether Bathsheba was seducing him or not. David was the king. David was supposed to be in control here. David was committing adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his close companions and bodyguards, Uriah. But after the whole thing is over, after the adulterous affair, Bathsheba leaves, and David thinks the, the thing is all done with and no one will have to know about it. At least that's it seems what David was thinking. But then the word comes from Bathsheba and David receives the message. I'm pregnant. Bathsheba's husband is off loyally fighting a battle for David and it will become clear that Bathsheba had committed adultery and David will have to eventually admit now that he had committed adultery too with his friend's wife. But then we see what David is thinking. No one has to know about it. We can cover this up as David calls Uriah from the battlefront and tries to convince Uriah to go home to his wife so that people might think the child is his. But Uriah, ever so faithful, does not want to go home while his companions are off fighting. David tries to get his friend drunk and to get him to go home, but it doesn't work. When we wrestle with sin, the wrestling match gets harder and harder as we try to cover it up. So David sends Uriah back to the battle, carrying a private message to his commander. Uriah faithfully carries that message, which indicates that Uriah is to be placed in the fiercest place of fighting, and they are to withdraw from the fighting so that Uriah might be killed. David's plan works. The soldiers attack. Uriah is left and vulnerable and killed. David receives the message that Uriah is dead. Now he probably thinks it's all over. 
The whole thing can just be forgotten. There's no jealous husband to rat out his behavior and his mistake anymore. David probably thought it was at that point all over. That's the way it happens with sin as it takes hold. We think that we can cover it up. We think that we can get away with it. We might try to downplay sin. Maybe David thought at that point, I'm an exception. People can't know that I did evil because I'm important. Or this sin isn't really that bigger of a matter. God will understand. I'm the exception. When sin comes into our hearts and lives, we can try to wrestle with it, downplay it, or pretend that it's not really a big problem, or no one's really getting hurt. But God does see. He sent the prophet Nathan to David. And as God sends Nathan to confront David with his sin, we learn and realize you cannot wrestle with, you cannot cover up your own sin. And then we see when David is finally confronted with his sin, just what David is thinking. The words are recorded for us here in Psalm 51. The thoughts and words of David, who is now done wrestling with sin and must face his sin. David says here, I admit my rebellious acts. My sin is always in front of me. David could no longer hold it out. He was pinned and he had lost the match. The sin was before him. In fact, the sin had always been before him. We might think that we can get away with certain sins, but it will always be in front of us. The sinner might say, well, nobody's going to really be bothered or harmed by my lust or by my acts of adultery. It's consensual, David might have reasoned. And others might say, it's not really hurting anyone. But the sin hangs around. Or the person who's entering into some harmless sin, saying, I'm not really hurting my employer that much by my laziness and failing to work as hard as I can. Or the person might say, I'm not really harming others by my words that much. They deserve it. Whatever the sin might be, the entry-level sin, it's before us. And if we try to cover it up, it will cover us up with guilt, and it will be before us. And David also recognizes sin for what it is. It's not a mistake. It's not merely, as some try to label it, a fault or addiction. Sin is evil. Against you, David says, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your eyes. When we wrestle with sin, we have to see it for what it is. It is not a fault or a mistake. It is an offense against God. And though we might reason or think that we're not hurting others or that others deserve it, does God. Our sin stands ultimately against him. When we overeat and indulge and hurt our body, we harm and hurt the creator who made us and we offend him. When we commit sexual impure thoughts or actions, we harm the God who gave us our bodies, the gift of sexuality and marriage. When we speak with words to harm others, we use the mouth that God gave us, not to build others up as he was intended, but to harm. Our sin stands as evil in the eyes of God. David then must acknowledge if sin is to be judged as and evaluated by God as evil, he says, you are justified when you sentence me. 
You are blameless when you judge. Sometimes when we, say, we might say, well, I'm not that bad. God surely wouldn't punish me that much for this sin. But if our sin is against him, he stands as judge and sees and is able to condemn the sinner as a holy and just God. Rather than saying, Lord, Lord my sin isn't that bad. With David, we must say, Lord, you're right when you say I'm deserving of your sentence of condemnation. Lord, because of my sin, you are just when you speak and condemn me, a sinner. And it's not just David. David recognized he had lost this wrestling match from the get-go. Certainly I was guilty, he says, when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. You and I are just like David. Just like David, we share that heart of Adam that from birth is not just at fault or makes mistakes, but does what is evil in God's eyes and has rebellious acts against our God and deserves to be judged by our Creator. What was David thinking? Well, we see when he writes the Psalms, he must confess that he is a sinner, that he is done, has done evil in God's eyes. And here we see in Psalm 51, with nowhere to turn, with no more wrestling with sin, David's only option. He says, Lord, be gracious to me, O God, according to your mercy. Erase my acts of rebellion according to the greatness of your compassion. Scrub me clean from guilt. Purify my sin. David could not cleanse or cover his own sin, so he turns to God. God, according to your great mercy, according to your compassion, cleanse, be gracious, scrub me, purify me. David could not obtain a clean heart by trying to cover and cleanse himself. So he turns to the God of mercy. And here we see David no longer wrestling against sin and trying to cover sin, giving 12 commands to God as he speaks to God regarding his sin. He says, remove my sin, wash me, let me hear joy, let me celebrate, hide your face from my sin, erase my guilt, create in me a pure heart, renew in me a new spirit. Don't take me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Restore to me joy. Sustain me with a willing spirit. These dozen or more commands of David are not David wrestling with God in vain, but David speaking to God according to his great compassion, according to his great mercy. David obtained a clean heart. David, the man of such wicked, horrid, rebellious acts and evil, was cleansed. Cleanse me, Lord and I will be clean. God cleansed you and had mercy on you according to his great compassion. In great mercy, he sent his son in order that our rebellious acts would not hang on us and the sentence and condemnation would not hang on us. His son took that punishment. In order that we might be cleansed, he washes us in the waters of baptism and tells us that our sins are removed from us. And that record of sin that is written down, not necessarily in the Bible, but in God's record, is erased, as David says. 
that record which God turns his face away from because he turned his face away from his son in our place as his son bore the evil and bore the guilt and bore the sentence for us on the cross, all according to God's great compassion and mercy for evil sinners like David and for you and I, for the times that we began to give in to those entry-level sins and tried to downplay sin, we now see like David, we know we're, we're sin heads. We know we cannot cover our own sin. But like David, we see what he's thinking. We know we can turn to God. So what, what was David thinking? How did he think he could get away with this? It was evil. How could he get away with getting cleansing according to your great compassion, Lord? See sin now for what it is. Don't try to downplay it. Don't try to cover it up yourself. You will wrestle with it and you will lose. But see sin as David here sees it. My act of rebellion against God. And rather than trying to cover it yourself and cleanse yourself, repent, confess, and in Christ find cleansing. Amen.